Hello and welcome to the SmackDown 6 podcast, the only podcast on the internet that is covering the SmackDown 6 era of, well, you guessed it, SmackDown. That's from uh, mid-2002 to early 2004. It's these six wrestlers. They started this era, which was great wrestling. And there's some amazing characters and great people that you've heard of, like John Cena and Kurt Angle and Brock Lesnar, who are part of it all. And we cover every episode, every twist and turn of this era on this podcast I'm your host, Matt Vaughn, and each week I'm joined by a guest co-host we get to, where we get to talk about grappling and wrestling and sports entertainment and all the variations therein. And this week I am very happy to bring back, uh, for the first time since Armageddon 2002, Chris Demetrenko. How are you doing, Chris? Doing great, Matt. Happy to be back on the pod. I love it. I'm, gra- I'm glad to have you here. And, and Chris, you know, we are covering the January 16th, 2003 episode of SmackDown. It was taped two days earlier. And uh, this is the last show before Royal Rumble 2003. So we're we're not on the road to Royal Rumble. We're on like we're op- we're turning into the parking lot of the Royal Rumble. If it's a place, I guess that's my metaphor here. That's so, right. Go home episode. Those are always good ones. Well, yeah. not always. Not always. <laughs> the, I find I find SmackDown struggles with the first ep- like the go home and the fallout episodes. The fallout episodes are especially bad for some reason. They don't know how to do shows after uh, pay-per-views because I think because we did a pay-per-view, obviously, the Armageddon one. And I think the episode after that was like kind of muddled and there was all sorts of, you know, there's, there's a, a lot has happened since since then. I mean, uh, you know, you obviously saw Kurt Angle win the WWE title, but then Kurt Angle turned right. around and was working with Paul Heyman. And, mm-hmm. and then Big Show was also working with Paul Heyman. And Big Show looked like a, a real doof because he was just like he kind of like was fine with getting screwed out of the title in a way. It was a whole messy thing. But we're right next to the Royal Rumble here, Chris. And do you have a favorite Royal Rumble that you can remember? Like a, a Royal Rumble match? Gosh. You know, um, I felt like the contemporary Royal Rumbles have been very, very good. Some good ones recently, yeah. And the Women's Royal Rumbles as well. I remember last year's Women's Royal Rumble I thought was amazing. This year's as well. I, there's rarely a time when I felt disappointed by a Royal Rumble, and I don't know if it's just the the novelty of seeing the new ones, but the one the two that were this year, 2021, I thought they were both fantastic and stand up to to anything in the past. Yeah, I thought they're they're really good. I I will toot my own horn where on the day of the Royal Rumble this past year, uh, my friend asked Daniel Petapa, former guest on the podcast and a mutual friend of Chris and I. Mm-hmm. Uh, he asked me who I thought was going to win. And I said, I don't know, uh, Bianca Belair and Edge? Well, guess what? They both won. And I feel like a genius. Oh, uh, well. So I, I, I had mean, a, you know. Bianca was really the clear-cut favorite. She was a safe bet, yeah. And you know what? That didn't, in my mind, detract at all from the glory of her win. It was, uh, it was, it was something special. Yeah, and in the uh, you know the recent WrestleMania, which is recent for us and much less recent for people listening to the show, where she got to win was pretty fun, and it was and it was fun to see people uh, watching wrestling in person again. I don't know how safe it was at the time, uh, but it was really a thrill to be like, oh my gosh, they got a stadium full of people, and it's like actually kind of cool. Yeah, it's super weird when, I mean, I I admit that I had uh, I think two people over for um, one of the the nights of WrestleMania. And that felt like, um, I don't know, that I was doing something terribly illegal. Right. (laughs) And meanwhile, there's this whole stadium of 25,000 people who are gathering together, probably in in conditions of infection that are 
um, as bad or worse than what we were experiencing here in Toronto. Yeah, and the, you know the the masking thing was a whole question. I remember being in the crowd and be like, ah, it's not great, but they're outside. And anyway, a whole bundle of questions, everything like that. But you know, we get to we get to talk about uh, you know a an episode of television that happened 18 years ago, way before pandemics. You know, we're you know way before uh, all the concerns of the day, 2021 NFTs and things mm-hmm. of that nature. Everything back then was fungible. Now everything's non fungible. It's ridiculous. <laughs> right? Can you believe how it's gone? <laughs> anyway. Before, I, you know what? I don't even know if NFTs are going to be as big a thing when this episode comes out. Because I feel like, you know, <laughs> the last time we got on, I don't even think it was really a thing. So who knows if they're fleeting or not? I, I mean, I really hope so. I really right. hope so. I don't want to hear about I've, I've heard it. I, I've heard it described as basically Etsy for men. So, like, <laughs> you know, what were guys going to do during during the pandemic? They needed to do something. Not so big on arts and crafts, so they so they come up with the, like these weird sort of, you know, cryptocurrencies. Is that even what it is? Yeah. I, I don't know. Is They're it? just like, hey, th- th- this JPEG is worth five million dollars. You're like, okay, yeah, right? <laughs> WWE literally, they also are like, hey, we have six gifts of the Undertaker. They're each worth half a million dollars. <laughs> like, okay, well, fine. I don't, nothing, nothing surprises me anymore. There's nothing to find well, out. Nothing new with money. There's that nothing that WWE won't try to monetize. I mean, if there's if there's a way to get some kind of cash or or cryptocurrency from it, they will they will attempt to do so. Yeah, I'm surprised we haven't had Seth Rollins bucks yet. That seems like a natural thing they would try for. Sure. I mean, now of course the thing would be like uh, Tribal Chief bucks, which I think I would buy. I would I would invest in Tribal Chief just to show my allegiance. You know what people would and uh, and you know maybe you should cut this out of the podcast because of WWE's <laughs> listing. They're They'll jump on that. Yeah. Oh, I. You know what? They're not that cutthroat of business. I bet they'll honor me and bring me on board, and I can get money for that too. <laughs> I'm not gullible at all. Dream and, job. That's right. So we'll talk about last week's episode before diving into the episode of Smack we watched today. So on last week's episode, there were nine matches. Yes, nine matches on a two-hour episode of television, uh, and but and yet there wasn't a ton happening in the way of building to the Royal Rumble, but. There was Don Marie and Al Wilson's honeymoon, which ended with Hal Wilson unresponsive and being held with by paramedics. Ah, entertainment. What a thing it was. And, and just to be clear, when the show ended last week, it was not stated whether or not Al Wilson was alive or dead. So he will be tuning in this week to find out what happened to him. And uh, we'll start with uh, the uh, Velocity, though. Let's go Meanwhile on Velocity. It's episode 35 of Velocity. This is what the good folks in East Rutherford, New Jersey... At the Continental Airlines Arena, this is what they would have seen before the show started. And uh, there were no dark matches. Sometimes there's matches before. For some reason, for the second straight week, no dark matches. Uh, but on Velocity itself, uh, Jamie Noble beat some guy named Brian Danielson uh, with this kind of uh, spinning neckbreaker there. Um, he would go on to uh, uh, become Daniel Bryan. So he was just there wow. losing to Jamie Noble. Wow. Yeah. Dan- Brian Danielson. Yes, this was that was his. Uh, that maybe his actual name, but it was at least what he used in the indies. And uh, he will go on to have more m- matches on Velocity. But yeah, he just like I just turn on Velocity on YouTube, pull it up, and it's like, oh, there he is, Daniel Bryan, just being. Uh, I think he was called the American Dragon, Dan- uh, Brian Danielson, kind of evoking some Japanese kind of uh, um, skills and and moves that he had there. So yeah, Brian Danielson was in the house, uh, and, and losing, and he counted the lights on that night. And the, uh, the second match was Chuck Palumbo versus Xavier. And uh, Xavier got super kicked by Chuck Palumbo and pinned. 
Now, Xavier's claim to fame was that he was, at the time, the Ring of Honor champion. So if people are familiar with Ring of Honor here, this is Ring of Honor was very new at this point. I think it just started the year before. And so uh, Brian Danielson was in Ring of Honor. Daniel Bryan actually would, uh, sorry, Daniel Bryan, who was then known as Brian Danielson. I'm going to screw that up a bunch if I keep talking about him. Uh, he would go on to win the Ring of Honor ch- championship in 2005. And so there's a lot of uh, Ring of Honor ROH stuff happening here, which is interesting. I don't know. I think they were actually, they did a lot in New York, so it makes sense that we'd see that. And then the, the final match of the evening, and this is probably going to trip you up, uh, Chris, was uh, the Jet. A wrestler named the Jet hit a corner running flipping reverse DDT on Shannon Moore to get a surprising win. Uh, only one week after another masked wrestler who also looks suspiciously like Daniel, uh, sorry, Brian Kendrick, also known as Spanky. Uh, that same master wrestler beat Funaki using the nickname Diamondback. So there's a little storyline happening here. So essentially two weeks in a row, Brian Kendrick, before you've ever met this guy, who would go on to become Spanky, who was, you know, on SmackDown, on 205 Live, things like that. Uh, he was he was the, the Diamondback back in Arizona, kind of evoking the team there, uh, the baseball team. And now he's the Jet, and they're in New Jersey, so he is kind of evoking the uh, the New York Jets. And so he, two weeks in a row, has beaten an actual wrestler on the roster. So we're getting some sort of movement going on here with some him being a mass wrestler with a little bit of shenanigans in there anyway interesting with a reference to local sports teams that's right and the masks were pretty different like his mask when he was dying back was kind of weird and this one was like your classic like if like a like white guy masked wrestler kind of thing like kind of luchador-esque but just kind of like um a little bit more like who was his name mr wrestling back in like the uh, 60s and 70s or i might have the dates wrong there but that's kind of what he's going for there so yeah mm-hmm. that's velocity so we're on to this episode of SmackDown, this week's episode here. Again, it's January 16th, 2003. It's the last episode before Royal Rumble. Uh, we are tracking the TV ratings as well to see, did it beat Raw? You know, there's kind of this head-to-head internal competition with Raw, and uh, it did not beat Raw. It had it got a one uh, 3.4 rating, uh, which is about what it gets, but it didn't beat Raw. There's a, a 24-week stretch that we are very early on in where Raw always beats SmackDown. And it's up to you to decide if you think it's because of the quality of the wrestling here debatable i think this episode's pretty decent but let's, we'll get into it here and we'll see how we do so the show begins with footage of don marie and al wilson over very earnest piano music and so we see clips from their wedding and from their honeymoon and, uh, and they had promised to broadcast their uh their honeymoon to the world kind of to be exhibitionists now chris when you're watching this were you familiar or did you remember that they got married in their underwear because that shows up at one point <laughs> So I'll be honest, I didn't see some of the episodes in between the last time I was on the pod and here. Oh, sure. But um, I was somewhat familiar with the storyline, of, of course, and where it goes. So the first thing I, I see when I log into watch WWE.com and find the episode is the, uh, the, the screen grab, the thumbnail for the episode is the in-memoriam graphic for right. Al Wilson. Yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, no, Matt scheduled me for this episode. And I right. truly wondered if I was up to the challenge of discussing one of the historic low points of WWE. And, uh, you know, a couple of, of minutes into this first segment, my my jaw dropped when I found out where they were going. Oh, yeah. And uh, yes, yeah, so there's so in this in this video package is piano music really makes it seem like everything's fine. And then they show the clip of the paramedics showing up. And then the, the, the soundtrack sounds like a true crime TV show kind of thing. And I'm not going to get it right. It's like, like if you're watching uh, 
uh, cold case files or anything like that. It feels very much like that early 2000s kind of thing. And uh, we see the paramedics use the, the paddles on Al to try to restart his heart there. And we saw at the end of last week's episode. But then we see, as Chris alluded to, that in-memoriam graphic for Al Wilson using a photo from his wedding. And it says, Al Wilson in memory, 1941 to 2003. And uh, just a quick reminder, Al Wilson at this time, not actually dead, uh, a living man. This is His death, of course, was a storyline, which they never do in wrestling. But he, we're going to pretend he's dead here. I think he would last at least until the late 2010s. So, uh, yeah, Al Wilson on camera, however, uh, does not live. Uh, but then the first live shot we see is Don Marie in a recliner. And she's wearing all black. But I would say, you know, Chris, I, I think her outfit was a little a little revealing still uh, for a widow. Uh, yes, uh, definitely not typical mourner's attire for sure. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very, very much kind of the black widow kind of looking of like I might have killed my husband kind of thing. She's wearing a very low cut leggy dress, I would say. And despite the outfit and the kind of incongruity of the look, she tearfully says that despite the attempts at interference from family members, alluding to Tori, of course, that Don Marie loved Al Wilson. She said Al loved public attention, which is why the honeymoon and the wedding were public, which is debatable, of course, whether or not he liked that. But she's also going to have a public viewing of Al Wilson. Uh, I thought it was kind of – well, I don't know why they didn't call it a wake because I guess public viewing is also used. But I, I feel like a wake as a word is a more understood term, wouldn't you say? I think that they did that because they wanted to communicate the idea that there was going to be an open casket. And right. Okay, viewing. Okay, so we're going to see a body here. That's, that's what really shocked me. Was right. that they right. were? We were actually going to be seeing a a dead Al Wilson. Yeah, um, must have been an interesting day to be Al Wilson in real life on that set, pretending to be dead. And uh, Don Don finishes the segment. She calls herself Don Marie Wilson, which I think is the first time we've ever heard her call herself that, which is ironic, especially given the circumstances, which is that her husband is now dead after being married to him for, I don't know. I guess we take it literally a, a week, right? Because she got married to him one week, honeymoon the next week. Dies in the honeymoon from we've they've never said it on television, but too much sex is what happened to the poor guy. I mean, we're speculating here, right? <laughs> it's true. It's true. Now <laughs> they never actually say that. I I mean, I don't know why they don't. Um, it seems inferred. But you know, they really do leave open the possibility that perhaps Don Marie truly loved that man. She, you know what? It's true because she is being a little less like I expected her to be like he's dead, smile, smile, or kind of like be over dramatic in a way. But like she plays it pretty straight. Although a little bit later on, uh, it's not like she's playing a game. But her, her the way she feels with Tori is still pretty clear. I would say uh, in later segments. I mean, they yeah. Anyway, we'll cover that. I don't want to mm-hmm. give it away too much here. And so from Don Marie, we go to the intro for SmackDown. We hear "Beautiful People" by Marilyn Manson. And the pyro shoots off in New Jersey, and we're 72 hours away from the Royal Rumble, um, which, of course, is why we started with five minutes on Al Wilson's death, because we want you to buy a pay-per-view. <laughs> so in fairness, there is a match that connects to it, but it is funny to be like one of the like probably I would say the second biggest night of the year, debatably, Royal Rumble. And they're like, all right, we're going to spend five minutes on our cheap death storyline here. And so well, uh, really yeah. the thread that ties together the entire show. I mean, this is what this episode is is about. It is it is the Tory and Don Marie show. It tonight. is. We do, we do visit it uh, quite a few times. 
Uh, now, Michael Cole says uh, he welcomes us. He tells us there's a special two-on-three handicap match tonight. Chris Benoit edge against Team Angle, uh, which I guess means Kurt is back in action now. And uh, throughout the show, they show this graphic a few times, and they keep showing it, it says two-on-three, but two-on-three is in quotes. And I'm kind of like, and I often think about the quotes as being kind of like denoting like it's not like, hey, it's it's two, you know, it's it's not really two on three, but it is. I don't know, just a weird weird graphic styling, I would say. And then um, Michael Cole kind of really, I, I think I've said earnestly already on this podcast, but it, it, there's a lot of earnestness going around. Michael Cole earnestly sends his condolences to Don Marie, and like he sounds like he's genuinely upset about it, and he's treating it like it was a real marriage with no um, sticky parts or anything odd about it. And then. Uh, Taz just talks about how the viewing could be weird, just like the wedding was. So Taz a little bit less. Uh, he, he's he's not being as careful with his words here as Michael Cole was to be you know, just kind of diplomatic about it. And so we start off. We uh, we start off with a match here. It's Los Guerreros versus John Cena and B squared for the WWE tag team titles. And uh, yeah, we start. This was a, a match that was uh, has been built up for the last few weeks in the podcast or that we've covered on the podcast, at least. So uh, this is interesting. I mean, this is a match. I think I said last week, like this could conceivably have been on the pay-per-view because of how they built it. But instead, we get to see uh, it get blown off here right on SmackDown. So for some reason, the graphic uh, when Los Guerreros comes out, it lists their both their full names. It's like Eddie Guerrero and Chavo Guerrero, not their team name. Don't know why. Kind of an odd thing. I guess they want to keep their name uh, quality up there. You know, their name awareness, I guess what I'm trying to say. And of course... There's multiple Eddie Mo's my lawn lawn sides in the crowd. Um, Chavo never gets as much hate on the signs. I guess he's he's obviously kind of the uh, second banana, as they say. But uh, you know the the racists leave Chavo alone for some reason. I don't know why. I don't know. Well, why. it, it yeah. seems like every week that I've been on the pod, something racist happens in regards to Los Guerreros. I mean, yeah. and, and every week in between, is this what we're experiencing as well? Or or is this basically, you I mean, you're going to get to to what we'll see soon, as bad as it gets? I would say, yeah, when you're not on the podcast, people are still being racist. It's oh. <laughs> unfortunate. Like, and it's, it's all kind of the same. I mean, the reality is, too, WWE is kind of tacitly moving it along by having they're showing the signs on television all the time. They, they cut away to these signs. If people aren't watching the shows with us, I want to be clear. When we a lot of time we see these signs in the crowd, it's because the, Eddie's music plays, they show him come out, and then they show a sign in the crowd like, "Hey, look at this!" and it's Eddie mows my lawn or all these sorts of things. Uh, now, in a minute here, I'll tell you about that's not even that's not even nearly the most racist thing someone says about the Guerreros. Oh yeah, uh, on the show. Uh, so before that though, there's a promo that show Eddie and Chavo Guerrero uh, a, a little inset promo, and they're bickering amongst themselves about who's going to win the Royal Rumble. And this is a, a through line throughout the show is that. You have these little videos that kind of similar to what they used to do on the like the early 90s Royal Rumbles where you have a guy come up and they're just a little interview area and they tell you why they're going to win the Royal Rumble. Uh, they used to do it for like 10 minutes back. Like if you go back to like watch like 91 or something like that, that's a lot of fun. Instead here, they're doing it on television, which, you know, they have a bunch of TV hours to fill out every week. I get it. And so out comes John Cena and B squared and, and John Cena freestyles. And first off, it's. It's always odd to me. He always asks them to cut the beat before he starts freestyling, which is not how rap works. Usually you have a beat while you freestyle. <laughs> like, but he just like his music comes out and he's like, forget it. Like, turn, he cut the beat. And you're like, all right, can you not rap to your own music, man? Like, what's happening here? Uh, although he has to remember all the stuff off the top of his head, so it's not hard. Uh, and John Cena, he, he says a lot of stuff here. Uh, a, a rhyme that really stuck out to me 
is that he he says I'll keep you starving like concentration camps. And he says, you'll be selling oranges on off-ramps. So, to be clear, that is a Holocaust reference and a reference to uh, migrant workers selling produce on the highways of the United States. Yeah, that I was, was certainly edgy. Um, like, a I Holocaust mean, reference is unbelievable. In New Jersey, of all places, too. I mean, oh, my gosh. Y- yes, although I, I don't think that's any worse than Cena's uh, line. Since when did the Meadowlands, Meadowlands being the arena there, become a place for Mexicans, <laughs> robbing Meadowlands and Mexicans, go back to Home Depot and become one of the hired hands? Right. It, you know, is John Cena going to get canceled for these old raps? We've, I've, I've talked about this with Think before on the podcast because it would not be crazy to me for someone to be like, you could, I could totally imagine somebody being like, hey, Twitter, and here's like a three-minute video of just him saying all this stuff. <laughs> and he'd have to come out and say, it was 2002 or 2003, it was a different time, I shouldn't have said it, I feel bad, it was wrestling, a little bit intense. I could see it happening. But he says some truly horrendous stuff here. And especially as John Cena's, uh, as his star kind of ascends in Hollywood as he's in, I think he's the main villain of Fast and Furious, and he's going to be in the new uh, the Suicide Squad movie, and that's going to be a TV show as well, so... I feel like the chance of him getting canceled, or at least people trying, is increasing. We well, will see. I wonder if listeners to the pod in the States, because now WWE Network is on Peacock, and right. apparently they've gone in and removed a lot of offensive old content. So I wonder if this, uh, raps like this, is going to be one of the things that they're actually going to cut, and maybe has already been cut for an American audience. Uh, now, regarding Cena, yeah. I, I just happened to learn today, um, just by watching something randomly from WWE on, on YouTube, that it was Stephanie McMahon who can be credited with the Thugonomics era. Apparently, he was showing off his freestyle rapping skills on a flight, I mean, as one does, and uh, Stephanie was impressed, and so uh, John made it part of his character. So Stephanie, at the very least, is claiming credit for all of this. Yes. Now, I will say also that Stephanie, uh, I think she also directed the uh, the hotel room v- video with Don Marie and Tori. So I'm just going to, you know, if we put something on her scale, hey, she did a good thing. I'm going to throw that on there as well. Uh, so <laughs> she's going to have to carry that, too. I mean, even her even her husband with Triple H there, he's done some good things and some horrendous things, even things we talked about briefly in the podcast, too. So, uh, you know, there's hits and misses on wrestling. They're just really low lows a lot of the time. Which happens. And and uh, a lot of them in this particular era, it seems. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. So with this match, it's interesting because John Cena uh, and B-Squared are both... Uh, they are they're heels, they are villains. Uh, and Eddie and Chavo have also been heels this whole time. Now, Eddie and Chavo are uh, noticeably... They're in the top left corner relative to the hard camera here, which I've recently just seen described as the face corner. So I would say that Los Guerreros are kind of being the good guys for the purposes of this match, which makes sense because John Cena literally referenced the Holocaust during his match. So right. there we go. So Los Guerreros start by taking Simply turns being move, referencing the Holocaust. Yeah, you know it's just, it's just what you do. <laughs> I wonder, like a lot of the stuff, I just like I want to take it from t- uh, 2003 and just drop it in t- 2021 and be like, how would people take that? There's a moment later on with Funaki, and I'm like, how I feel like that got booze then, and now he would be booed to death. People would not. Stop booing you if that happened. For sure. Uh, it's always an interesting thing. 
So yes, Los Guerreros start off. They beat up on on Cena. They do a little snapmare to dropkick moment, where Eddie snapmares uh, Cena, and Chavo quickly comes, hits him a dropkick, and he's been flipped down and kicks him in the face. And so uh, Eddie goes off the ropes, but he gets low bridged out of the ring and beaten up outside by Cena. And then he goes back in, and B squared hits a Falcon Arrow on Eddie for two, which I it seems to me like a strange move for B squared to have in his arsenal. I think maybe that's something that even now like Seth Rollins will do or things like that, like a guy mm-hmm. like that. And so it's just strange to see a guy who, you know, B-squared is not that gifted a wrestler, I would say, even though he does have some hops and he's pretty good for a big guy. Just strange to see a Falcon Arrow. And uh, and then I see in the crowd, that would, something I've seen before, but I haven't noticed before in this podcast specifically, there's a foam, you suck. And I feel it hard to describe because usually it would be, I would say it's a foam finger. You know, the classic, like we were number one foam finger, but it's a foam, you suck sign. And uh, I wonder what it's like for Kurt Angle to be like get get checks because somebody bought a sign that says you suck with your like with like a logo like it's almost got his logo on it right because it's got like a star on it and everything like that. Um, I wonder if anybody knew owned it. I don't know if they did. Did you ever have any uh, foam fingers wrestling or otherwise, Chris? I think I've owned zero WWE merchandise until very recently, and recently no no foam fingers. A couple T-shirts. I was never really big into the into the merch because I mean, what do you do with that in, unless you're um, like do you bring that to the local like you know little league game or whatever? Right. <laughs> I don't think you can. Yeah, it's true. I think I might have had a diesel foam finger, if I'm not mistaken. I knew I had diesel gloves. Um, that would have been gloves. 95, 96. That was the whole thing. Well, the, the thing with Diesel at one point was that he wouldn't he wouldn't high five you as a fan unless you had Diesel gloves. That's something he said. Oh, clever! It's clever because <laughs> yeah. it also shows it's like, oh, he's such a jerk, and it's also like you can sell a lot of gloves that way. Yeah, uh, I would have liked to have had uh, a a foam razor because I'm pretty sure Razor Ramon had foam razors, or a foam uh, urn. I think a foam urn is a little bit. Um, in a mild way, kind of a uh, a grail of wrestling. I'd love to get a foam urn from from that. Which yeah, that'd be, great. be pretty cool. Pretty sick. And yeah, anyway, so there's, foam, there's a foam you suck thing in the side in the crowd. So outside the ring, Chavo back body drops B squared. Um, or sorry, he's they're in the ring. He back body drops B squared to the outside. And he kind of he tumbles out in a dramatic way because B squared is such a tall dude that he's just like his whole body flipping out of the ring is like oh my gosh, there's like a like car flipping over or something. And so Chavo follows up. He does a, a leaping body press, but Cena is there with B squared to catch Chavo. And so what Eddie does, he follows up. He he does the same thing. Only his momentum knocks them all off, almost the, kind of like the wrestling equivalent of uh, when you run and you see a cliff and you stop, and the, but the guy behind you doesn't stop and hits you and you both fall off the cliff anyway. So it's kind of a similar thing to that that cartoon idea. And so back in the ring, Chavo drop kicks B squared. He heads up top. He hits a frog splash, and he just gets the one, two, and the three. And uh, Los Garros retain their tag team titles. Now, I will say that when Eddie does that, that thing to the outside, he might be hurt. That's what they say. And so Chavo kind of ignores that and then drop kicks B squared and hits him with a frog splash. But I was kind of surprised by how deftly Chavo just won this match single-handedly against B squared. Yeah, I was a pretty short one. And... Yeah. Uh... Uh, and then, and then, of course, we've got uh, um, some further confrontation going on here. Yeah, I was I was surprised by that, but not a surprise afterwards. Is seeing uh, John Cena, he he slaps B two, uh, sorry, B squared around because he's mad at him. This is why Chavo is checking on Eddie, 
And so B squared fights back and he gets seen in the corner, but then out of nowhere comes Red Dog, also known as Rodney Mack. He comes in, he saves John Cena. He teams up with Cena to beat on B squared. He throws him into the turnbuckle outside, kind of lawn dart style. And then he slaps on a Fujiwara armbar in the ring on B squared before he heads up the ramp with John Cena. And uh, I have to say, I have zero memory of Rodney Mack being on SmackDown in this capacity. I was very surprised to see it. I don't know. Chris, are you familiar with Rodney Mack as a wrestler at all? No, I'm not. And um, to be honest, I had barely any recollection of Bull Buchanan either. Fair uh, enough. I had, I had a vague recollection of him. And so I was surprised to see him being rebranded as, as B squared, which has got to be one of the, the lamest wrestling <laughs> names out there. I complained last time about a train being just such a lazy nickname. Right. I think B squared is worse. Um, I was thinking when I was watching this, like there's no way that this guy's getting over with that name. And, and sure enough, he didn't. This was actually his last match. Uh, apparently he had a dark match next week, but it was cut. So 10 days from today, he's actually released from WWE. Is it just 10 days? That's crazy. Just 10 days. And he is gone. Because I'm wondering when I'm watching this, because I know I, 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 he might show up at Royal Rumble. And so we'll see about that. This may not be goodbye forever for B-Squared on the podcast. Maybe, might be next week we'll say goodbye to him. But it's funny because you watch the storyline and like you are being – replaced on the air. So I don't know if it's like, hey, go out there and reform. By the way, we're definitely going to release you. Just do what's right and do your thing and then we're going to fire you because we're literally replacing you on screen. It's crazy. And, and the weird thing too, Rodney Mack, who's, who is Red Dog here, I should give him respect and call him Red Dog. Uh, he, to me, is somebody who's just on Raw. So for him to show up on SmackDown before he even debuts on Raw is really strange to me. Uh, now, <clears throat> the funny thing about this is I did a little bit of research and uh, we will never see Red Dog wrestle on SmackDown. Uh, he, he has been on Velocity, but in exactly a month from now, uh, he will be on Raw. He will not be at all in the storyline. So John Cena loses a guy, gains a guy, and a month from now, he will have no one. And you know what? They're virtually indistinguishable in terms of of yeah. their identities, how they're presented, B-squared and Red Dog. Yeah, I mean, the... The only thing you could say is like, okay, so John Cena and B squared, the little bit of the joke there is like, oh, they're like hip hop, but look, they're white. And Red Dog is uh, a man of color. And so maybe there's a little bit, they're trying to give like a harder edge to Cena where it's like, look, no, no, though, no, he's actually like, he's not a goofball with him and his white buddy. It's like, no, he has some actual bona fides. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I, I, I can imagine them having friends. that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so anyway. All of, it'll be interesting to watch the next month and kind of see like what's what are they doing with him? Do they see take John Cena seriously or not? Uh, and so from there we see a shot of the outside of the arena. Uh, Michael Cole tells us we're in the shadow of New York City and they show a shot and they show actually the Empire State Building across the way, which is pretty far away, but like it's visible from the arena. And so yeah, they very much are proving they're in the shadow of New York City. And so then we see a video package for uh, Team Angle's debut. And their attack of Chris Benoit. This would be good for you, uh, Chris, because you know you wouldn't have seen this otherwise. And it was funny to watch it because I was like, oh, this just kind of feels like a dry run for the uh, video package they're going to show on Sunday at the Royal Rumble. Like, <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to see this again next week. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was kind of a whole thing there. Because, yeah, you you wouldn't have seen Team Angle de- debut at all. This would be your first time encountering them as wrestlers. That's correct. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Okay, good, good. Uh, we'll talk more about them when we, when we hit them there. And so the video package concludes with a Chris Benoit sit-down interview in a black void. They like doing these things. 
Uh, and uh, he refers to an uh, interview from SmackDown a few weeks ago when he talked about uh, what he sacrificed. And you may recall, if you remember listening to the episode, that uh, we didn't actually see that video because on the WWE Network, they got rid of it. They just excised it from the broadcast because he awkwardly references how he sacrificed for his wife and his son, both of whom he would later murder. So they thought that would be too uncomfortable to watch on the network. I have found it on YouTube, thankfully, to actually to be a completionist about it. But it is kind of creepy to watch. And uh, even in this video package, he does, again, reference his wife and kids again, even though the, he doesn't use their names. So this, I think because he wasn't using their names or he's a little bit more vague about it, this escaped the uh, the slice, the editing. Oh, uh, but I wish they would have gotten rid of it, Matt. Yeah. I mean, I guess I have mixed feelings about removing content from the past and in, in the current era and, right. and what, what, Pe- what I referenced about what Peacock is doing. But, uh, yeah, yeah, this was really uncomfortable. Him saying the sacrifices they've made themselves, the sacrifices they've made with me, him talking about his family members. And you know what? It's it's not even a, a good segment. Uh, this right. is not where Chris excels. And uh, that line that he says at the end, yeah. some people may say that it's ruthless aggression, I'd rather look at it as being toothless aggression. And he just stares at the camera with like his, you know, terrible dental work. And it's just awful. Like spare us the discomfort of, of it all and, and cut this one too. Yeah. It's, it is funny that they, they really did still try to lean on uh, a little bit of the the promo work that he did. And it's like, you just, you don't need to do it. And, and in retrospect, yeah, I totally get that. Uh, the other thing I will add about the segment is that uh, Benoit is wearing what appears to be a WWE Letterman jacket with no shirt underneath, which is a real look. That would be a bold <laughs> one if you were to have that on the streets today. So that's right, yeah. Uh, he references toothless aggression. And uh, I think he also he po- talks about how Kurt Angle is uh, injured, but he'll kind of make him, he'll, he'll win anyway, something like that. And he, and he talks about appreciating Angle is a real athlete before he ends on his, yeah, his big note there. Wait, was toothless aggression a thing? So ruthless aggression was a concept. I that. Yes, you do. Toothless? That was used in some t-shirts, I think, for Chris Benoit. And maybe even in some tights. It came up a little bit. Mm. Not too, too much. Um, yes. Toothless aggression. I think, I'm sure there was a shirt that had it. We could probably Google it and see it. There might have, been, there might have even been like a, a Wolverine missing a tooth on that to kind of drive the point home. <laughs> right. And so next, Stephanie McMahon comes out, and she's done this a couple of times where she'll just come out onto the ramp and just talk about stuff. And we're like, all right, sure, welcome, Stephanie. That's fine. And so she simply seems to promote um, SmackDown matches at Royal Rumble. So uh, Undertaker's going <laughs> to—I said his name weird. Undertaker. Undertaker will be at the Royal Rumble. Uh, Brock Lesnar uh, will face the big show with the winner entering the Royal Rumble itself, which was set up in recent weeks when uh, Paul Heyman was talking about how he wanted— it's to be as hard as possible for Brock Lesnar get, to get into the Rumble. So he's dangling this match with Big Show up there. Be like, you probably want to get your hands on him, but also if you lose, you don't get in. So that's the whole thing. And, uh, yeah, Stephanie also talks about how she's making a Big Show and A-Train against Brock and a pa- partner of his choosing. Or, or no, sorry, a partner to be named later because, as we later see, Brock Lesnar's choice is that he would rather not have a partner at all. Mm-hmm. What and, a badass. I know. Now, Michael Cole says, uh, wait, after Stephanie says that, he says, Brock Lesnar's a loner. Who the hell is going to team with Lesnar? And I'm like, okay, rude, Michael Cole. Like, I have to point that out. Like, 
he's not that much of like a, hey, I don't want to team with people. It's like we've seen him be in tag teams on the show. Uh, but yes, he says he's a loner. Who wants? You know, who is going to team with him? It's like he seems. I would want to team with Brock Lesnar. He's not going to face me. I'll face. I'll. I'll face people. Yeah, against I feel like your your chances are are pretty good if he's your tag team partner. Yeah, it's good. I'll tag him in. He'll German suplex them until they're dead, and then that's fine. He can tag me back in or not. I don't care. It's up to him. Uh, we see another video package. We've seen a few of these in recent weeks. For Nathan Jones, he talks about how time moves differently in prison. Uh, which is his character because he's Australian. So, of course, uh, he's a prisoner, which may or may not be rooted in reality. I don't remember if that is, in fact, true for him. It may very well have been. Uh, Chris, are you familiar with Nathan Jones? Is somebody who uh, exists in your memory at all? No, not at all. I didn't make that connection between him being from Australia and being in prison. Like, in, does WWE imagine that in the American mind that uh, Australia is still just one large prison colony? <laughs> I assume so. I'm sure it's either that or it's like uh, Crocodile Dundee. So it's either he's in prison or he's saying, no, this is a knife. Well, he doesn't debut in ring until April. So is that really how long it takes for him to get there? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You're right. No, you're you're totally right. He makes his telephone. Oh, that was an in ring debut. I think he's going to you know, he's going to pop up uh, doing a little bit of uh, some kicks and stuff in the next few weeks. So oh, we will see. Right. But he doesn't he doesn't okay. get into the ring because he, he he's he's at WrestleMania in a capacity. I mean, maybe def- maybe it's his like maybe that's his like parole restrictions as he can't actually fight in ring until a little bit later. Yeah, no, it says here. I'm looking up online here. He was sentenced to 16 years in prison in 1987 when he was 20 because uh, he did eight armed robberies between the years 1985 and 1987, two of which happened in Tasmania. So is uh, this yeah. like for real? Actually, yeah, apparently he was. He he uh, he served seven years in a maximum security prison in 1994. He was given a one year work release before being discharged at the age of 25. And so, so apparently kill anybody or like seriously hurt anybody. I don't think so. But it was armed robbery. So, uh, you know, and he was considered at one point one of the most, most wanted men. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, I think he he was not a, a great dude at the time. But uh, and apparently he had a little bit of visa issues coming to work for WWE when he first started. Because I, I can imagine yeah. you might. It's a whole thing. I mean, I know there's been some other wrestlers who uh, um, who did that. Apparently, sorry, I'm just looking up here as well. Apparently, in 2008, he signed with uh, Impact Wrestling back when it was total nonstop action. But uh, a, a cement truck hit his hit him in the left arm, and he was sidelined for three months because he had nerve damage. He never ended up wrestling for them. It's too bad. So that's a lot of life lived. Armed robbery, hit by a cement truck, <laughs> being a, a really, you know, short-lived wrestling career. I mean, he didn't even last in WWE for for a year. He was no, gone. He didn't. Uh, yeah, he'll, later on, he'll quit the company uh, in Perth, Australia. Very convenient time for him to quit the company. Oh, well, yes. They fly him there. He just goes, you know what? I'm just going to stick around here. I, you and, know, and I used to here. And, and apparently it was for the because of the rigors of traveling with wwe that was that was why he quit uh was the grind of of the tour which is kind of ironic in that they're presenting him as being this like really super tough badass but it's it's uh it's actually the jet lag that gets him in the end yeah i guess so and i would think if i was in prison for seven years i think i might enjoy traveling a lot (laughs) i'd be like this is very different from something i used to do Mm -hmm. i like that a lot uh, and so, yeah, so, so next match, 
we have up here is Rikishi versus Bill DeMott. And while the interests are happening there, Taz talks about Nathan Jones. He says, oh, we did a 10-year prison sentence for armed robbery, which we just found out is not true. He's sentenced to – we might have been sentenced for 10, but he ended up serving seven. And uh, Michael he Cole – yes, exactly. Michael Cole says uh, – simply he just said, well, he did his time. He's coming to WWE. It's like no big deal. Michael Cole is very much like, ah, whatever. It happened. It's, all, it's done with. Like, okay, sounds good. And so, so Rikishi cuts one of those video promos about being in the Royal Rumble. And uh, yeah, I don't think he says much of note. I'm sure he says that he's going to throw people one over the top and he's going to win and go on to WrestleMania. And a very believable thing, I'm sure. Rikishi's going to do it. And so uh, Bill DeMott comes out. But before the match, he gets on the mic and he says, people keep calling him a bully. And he picks on people smaller than him. And Rikishi is apparently the solution that SmackDown management had in mind for Bill DeMott. Uh, but then DeMott says, you know what, Rikishi, you should back your ass up, referring to what he says. He says you should back your ass up out of the arena before I throw you out. It's like, all right, cool. Thanks, Bill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Glad you said that. So Michael Cole takes the time to sh- say that uh, about the the wake later on, the public viewing here. He says, I can't imagine that Al Wilson would want a public one, um, which I think is kind of strange because I think of wakes as being objectively public all the time, which is kind of the point. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. you open the casket up, people come in, they circulate, that sort of thing. It's a very, it's a very public event. It's not, I mean, you don't like, you know, take out ads or invite the neighborhood, but you invite all sorts of people. Or How would you about feel about your wake being on SmackDown? I mean, that's my hope right now. Currently, is mm-hmm. that you know, when I die, you know, in in, in seventy years, um, hopefully Friday Night SmackDown is still on Fox, uh, being you know being renewed again, and they'll yeah they'll they'll, uh, they'll have my wake there. I think that'd be great. You I would love it to be a brawl. You know what? If I had to decide right now, and if someone asked me if that could be a possibility, I'd, yeah, I'd agree to it too. Sure, of course. Let's let like let's do it. I mean, I'm sure WWE would help with a little bit of the funeral cost too, if they can use my my death there. I think. I mean, I don't know why I would be on SmackDown, but I'm open to it. Yeah, I'm absolutely for it. Hopefully, I don't have to do, do anything Al Wilson did to get on there. That would be a whole different thing. Uh, and so, Michael Cole is talking about Rikishi. And he says, he very quickly goes, yeah, Rikishi, was, he was the victim of a drive-by shooting, but now he likes to have fun. It's like, all right, we knew that both of those things about Rikishi, but uh, it's kind of whiplash to be like, to really line those up next to each other. He's like, I know he was shot. He was, there was some attempted murder, but also, you know what? He likes to shake his rear end from time to time. <laughs> it's like, all right. So DeMont and Rikishi go back and forth for a little bit. Rikishi hits a savat kick, uh, but he hurt his shoulder. And so it takes a while for him to try to pin him. And when he does pin him, he only gets two. And so Rikishi goes for a bonsai drop in the corner. But Bill DeMott's not even facing the right way. Usually the guy is, like, facing in towards the ring post. But he was right. facing out. He was like, all right, so this is not going to happen for Rikishi. And so Bill DeMott simply hops up. And he power bombs Rikishi from the second rope. And then he grabs the tights, in quotes, because his tights are already pretty hiked up. And he gets the one, two, and three. He gets a surprising pinball victory against Rikishi. So Bill DeMott wins. Because we're still building him. Tough run for Rikishi. That's uh, three losses in a row for him. Yeah, he's he was built up so much in the early months of this podcast and really shown shown as like, hey, this is an upper mid-card guy. And now he's just, he's losing. He's losing left and right. Yeah, I mean, one thing to lose against, I guess it was, what was it, Cena last week, big show two weeks ago, but now to lose to the rebranded Hugh Morris, um, it's it's a real low point for him. Yeah, we're we're seeing a we're seeing a pretty sharp descent being executed here uh, for poor Rikishi. Well, but he might win the Rumble, so I mean, there it's you true. Go. Hey, there you go. I wonder if they 
That would be a bold move if WWE were like, you know what? We never have a guy who's not really doing anything win the Rumble, but anybody could. So just like, okay, this year, I don't even know who they would have a, a modern guy win. But they, yeah, let's just have a Rikishi kind of guy sort of win. And be like, all right, that would maybe not go over great, but that's fine. They always talk about it like I should believe it. It's like, mm. Anyway, so from there, Michael Cole says, oh, Funaki is standing by with Matt Hardy. And then we go backstage, and Funaki is decidedly not standing by with Matt Hardy. Funaki is just having a conversation with Billy Kidman. But then Matt Hardy walks up. Uh, partially because Kidman makes fun of Matt and Shannon Moore. And so Matt they, they, he walks up and chastises them. And so Matt Hardy says to Kidman, he says, you don't know how hard it is to be a mentor for Shannon Moore, who he describes as a troubled person. Who Shannon Moore, he, Shannon Moore does not object to being described as troubled, which I think is interesting. He accepts that he's in a bad state. And Funaki asks why Shannon Moore puts up with Matt's BS. And he literally does say BS, which is funny. And then Matt says, Funaki, yeah, here's something Here's something I thought would probably not go over well now. Uh, Funaki can barely speak English despite being SmackDown's number one announcer. And so they, they attack each other. There's a short brawl before Matt and Shannon leave, and then Funaki and Kim and collect themselves. And so, yeah, I think if he said you can't speak English in 2021, that would be a bigger heel move now. That would be. Um, yeah, that definitely yeah. Uh, stuck out to me as being a bit racist, for sure. Yeah, not great. Now, in fairness, it is designed to make him a bad guy, more so. But just some stuff you just wouldn't broach now. And so next up, we have Nunzio, who's accompanied to the ring by Jamie Noble and his girlfriend, Nidia. And he's going to go up against Tajiri. And I find it strange that Jamie Noble and, and Nunzio are cousins, but they've never really done any segments to show their cousins. They don't do any odd couple stuff, because Nunzio is obviously, uh, he's kind of like a New York City Italian guy. And Jamie Noble is a Southern guy. And they don't do any odd couple stuff. They don't do like a, I'd love to see them having like a, a barbecue or something. And Tajiri, you know, not, sorry, uh, Nunzio was excited about like, like uh, Gabagool and like all sorts of fun Italian stuff. And Jamie Noble wants like ribs and things like that. But it doesn't come up. I don't well, know. The commentators I even reference that there's nothing in particular in common about them. Yeah. Let me see. Because I, I like to see that either be true or like subvert expectations and be like, oh, but they get along about X, Y, Z. I don't know. It's just funny. They bring him in as a cousin of him. The, the funny thing is they're, they have nothing really in common, but they never really do anything with it. They're just kind of associated with each other. It's kind of strange to me. And so Tajiri, uh, he's going up against Nunzio, and he has a chance to – he does a video promo for the Royal Rumble as well because he's in it. Uh, and so he does the entire thing in Japanese. And WWE doesn't close caption it. I looked it up. It just simply says he's speaking in a foreign language. They don't even say what language. <laughs> I was like, I'm pretty sure I know what language he's speaking. But then I pulled out my iPhone, and Ooh. iPhone has, it has a translate app. And you can just you can just speak a language into it and it spits it out the other side. Now, Tajiri is speaking rather quickly. Something that would be unimaginable back in 2000. Oh, my gosh. I know. It's completely, yeah, it's completely science fiction that I did this. <laughs> and so I put my phone up to uh, my computer where I was watching at the time. And uh, th- what I pieced together from it, which was not an easy experience, I think Tajiri asked if we know what time it is. He says it's the Royal Rumble. There's going to be 29 people getting thrown over the top rope, and then Tajiri will win. He's like, all right, that's a pretty normal promo there. Now, Tajiri, despite speaking Japanese here, is like he is he is talking, he's doing all sorts of actions with it. He's throwing people off the top rope. He's he's getting very very into it there. So even though we don't speak Japanese, we get the sense of what he's saying. And I think they even point out in commentary, they're like, oh, I think he says he's going to win. Yeah, okay, that's true. You know what? I love those, and they still do them now with yeah. Oscar, for example. Yeah, and I think that these promos where they're allowed to speak their their mother tongue. And communicate without um, the audience knowing the language. I think that they're great. And uh, Tajiri killed it on that promo. 
Yeah, I like when they they've done a couple times on the on the show even where they've done it with Spanish too, and I enjoy it too. It's a little bit more, it's a little bit of flavor that's just you know you don't really get it, and it's like oh, it's kind of fun the not the mystery of it all a little bit, but it's like oh, it's a little bit unique, right? Like mm-hmm. we don't have to know what's going on. It's also just yeah. a show of how good they are as competitors that way, and they can they can perform and make me want to hear something or uh, believe them, even though I don't understand what they're saying. And so yeah, this is a Nunzio versus Jiri match. This is actually a pretty classic ECW matchup because Nunzio when he was little Guido. He wrestled Jiri all the time in ECW. I looked it up. They wrestled on television. They wrestled on pay-per-view. So this match has happened before, just not in WWE. And uh, so we start off there. Tajiri does a bunch of kicks. Nunchio's working on the arm a little bit. There's some decent cruiserweight action happening here. And then uh, at the end of the match here, Tajiri gets a tarantula on Nunzio. And after he releases it, he lines up a buzzsaw kick on Nunzio. Uh, but Jimmy Noble hops up on the apron. So Jiri just kicks him off instead. And then Nidia hops on behind him. The jury turns around. And she seemingly wants to kiss Tajiri. There's like it's kind of like like a little moment of like, uh, who knows? They're gonna kiss each other right now. And then Tajiri decides against it, and he sprays green mist in her face instead, which got a pretty good reaction from the crowd. They were excited to see Nidia getting uh, misted. And so Nuncio takes advantage of the situation though, and he hits his kind of his running bouncing armbar bulldog thing off the ropes, and he gets a pin for it. So despite the heavy losses on Nuncio's side. Where Noble gets kicked and uh, and Nidia gets misted, Nunzio wins. So it was kind of a fun little match. Not much to it. It was all right. I mean, yeah. my favorite moment was at the end when Taz is referring to to Nidia, who's of course still suffering from the green mist covering her face. Taz says, "I still think she's a tomato, a green tomato." Now, there and, we go. <laughs> was, I thought it was great. That's perfect, especially yeah. for him to use that kind of language in a Nunzio match. It feels especially apt because it feels like an Italian family kind of thing that Taz is tapping into. And then so we see we see clips from from a, a very different thing, which is Monday's Raw show, which was the 10th anniversary of Raw. And so they handed out some awards like the uh, like the Diva of the Decade, which they gave to Trish Strash, which seemed wrong to me because I think judging by the people they showed there, I, I think we would give it to Sable if we're trying to name probably the most important woman of the time. Uh, which I thought was strange because I think it was I think Trish was on there, Sable was on there, and I think Sunny was there too. Um, so yeah, I feel like Sable would win. I, Trish just got it because she's like there and can get the rub from winning an award like that. I guess right. I mean, I suppose ultimately, I mean, looking back, obviously Trish was the more important superstar in WWE history. Yeah, in terms of wrestling, I think Sable still has such a huge impact as like a uh, performer, and, and the fact that, you know she did a little bit of the intergender stuff too, which was in, insane at the time. Um, then there's an award here called the "Don't Try This at Home" award, which is just like, hey, here's the craziest thing that happened on Raw, and so they give the uh, they give the award to Kurt Angle missing a moonsault off the cage against Chris Benoit uh, at a Raw in 2001, and uh, he accepted that in person with Team Angle there, and he has a nice sweater on, not wearing a suit, he's got a sweater. It is January. I can't blame him for it. It is nice. And then this is weird shut up and kiss me award, which I guess is best kiss. Because I guess the raw 10th anniversary is kind of like the MTV movie awards or like the billboard awards or something. Or, uh, right. Yeah. MTV movie, yeah, exactly. No one got a moon man trophy, which I thought was tragic. I guess that'd be the M- MTV thing. And so Stephanie and Triple H win. So they can have this whole moment where they get up there again and Triple H says, oh, so you can kiss me again. But he pulls down his pants. He's like, oh, I kissed my ass. And anyway, she just slaps it. And I was like, okay. Uh, I'm glad we got to see. Not only did we see that on Raw, we got to see highlights of it on SmackDown, too. Mm-hmm. 
And there's a, a much more uh, substantial award here. This is Superstar of the Decade, which uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin wins, even though Vince McMahon accepts it on his behalf. And then there's the Ramon of the Decade, which is awarded by Edge, and it was Stone Cold Spring Beer on Vincent Company. So I think it, the, the, the awards there made sense, at least at the end there, when it was leaning towards uh, Austin, which makes sense. Uh, from you know 90, 97 or ninety eight onward, he was kind of the whole show oh, for, for sure. There, mm-hmm. So it makes sense. And so then we go backstage with Josh Matthews, and he has John Cena and Red Dog in the interview area, and he asks about what happened. And so Cena does a whole rap again, <laughs> explaining the whole thing. He says the only the strong survive, and he talks about things being a chain and B squared was the weak link, but now they have Red Dog, and so there's more more rapping in there, and then at the end Red Dog barks. Because he's a dog, of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, don't know, I don't know if he's really red, but that's what happens. And I mean, have, it's yeah. so similar. I mean, uh, B squared. What did he do at the end of the rap? He yells out "booyah." That's right. It's it's they're interchangeable. I guess so. Uh, so we'll see if Red Dog acquits himself any better in the, in the weeks to come. And then we have a a promo for the Royal Rumble, and the Undertaker is returning. Which now is only footage when he was the American Badass. And it all says the Badass turns the end. So here's the thing, Chris. The weird thing about this was the last couple weeks on the show, they were doing a promo for Undertaker returning to the Royal Rumble, but it was only when he was the dead man. The only show clip that whole time. And then at the end, instead of saying the Badass returns, it said the dead man returns. And they showed it for two straight weeks. And so if you were watching this back in 2003... You would make the presumption, I would assume, that you'd be like, oh, wow, he's going to come back as a dead man. That's crazy. And then this week, they're like, nope, he's going to be the badass. They're, just, they're like proving it. Or, or maybe, I don't know if it was ever the plan, or maybe they had to like change the, the tack of what they were doing because people were drawing conclusions they weren't ready to back up. Because uh, oh, it takes another, takes another mm-hmm. year before Undertaker even comes back uh, as, uh, as the dead man again. So, because we're the Rust 2003, he is very much so still the American badass. Um, and it's when he's the worst. I would argue, in a lot of ways. This is not going to be a good year for for Undertaker on the podcast. Mm-hmm. We will cover it. You will see. And so then we go back to Don Marie, and she's the public viewing. And uh, Michael Cole, again, very earnest. He says, this must be so hard for her. And Taz points out, she's not only really dressed like other widows, which is true. And Michael Cole says, well, she's our Don Marie. You know, kind of, <laughs> kind of excusing her... Uh, um, her impropriety with her dress. Well, that's just Don Marie. Yeah, know? we all know her. We know what to expect here. Mm-hmm. So uh, I believe there's some uh, piano. Is it piano music at this point? Yeah. Yes, that's piano music, which which changes here, which is Not funny. Too subtle. Mm-hmm. So Don walks up to the casket and to the funeral home director, who I would call the Undertaker, <laughs> because <laughs> it's very confusing in a wrestling context to describe right. a funeral home guy in the right context. So I'm gonna say he's a funeral home director and not. Um, Mark Calloway, the Undertaker. So she, she thanks him for the flowers, and she cries on his shoulder. And he Was goes Paul talk- Bearer alive at this point, or did he already die? Yes, Paul Bearer will come back. He'll be on. Why, why uh, did they sp- not bring Paul Bearer out for this? I mean, that would have been fantastic. They don't want to make it too melodramatic again. Uh, <laughs> he did have a funeral parlor. That's the thing, too. Oh, uh, yeah. He used to do interviews there and everything. Huh. They get the, the casket. They locked uh, Ultimate Warrior in. That could be a good time. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the uh, funeral director goes to talk to Al's family and Don Marie takes time to open the casket. And so we see Al's body and Don looks in and she says, Oh, they didn't do a very good job with your body. And he looks pale. And then he looked better when he was carried out in the gurney. And then Don Marie notices the camera 
And she has this moment of like almost like being like Jim in the office or something like that. I'm like, oh, camera awareness. And then she starts crying a lot. And the piano music during that time ended. But then when she starts crying again, the piano music starts again to show it's emotional. Like it's a very produced kind of moment there. And then Don says she's going to carry on the Wilson name and she kisses his body goodbye. You know what? I was really concerned that she was going to make it with Al's corpse. <laughs> what an indictment of WWE at the time that you're like, that's a realistic possibility. Well, yeah, this this era was really distinguished by its shamelessness. And with and that sacrophilia, comes... actually, specifically. Well, yeah. But with that shamelessness comes a certain thrill in that they don't have any boundaries. I mean, you're watching WWE today and you know that they feel this need to maintain a certain mainstream respectability. Right. And there were no limits. Clearly, this whole storyline exhibited that they really had no shame. And so I think that's one of the merits is because you just do not know how low they will go. Yeah. yeah. Well, there we go. <laughs> Well, yeah, th- thankfully she does not marry- make out with that body. And yeah, I was relieved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great relief. So Stephanie McMahon, we're back in her office. She's on the cell, uh, on her cell phone in her office. She seems to be talking to Shane McMahon about whether or not Eric Bischoff is going to be fired, which sounds like a Raw storyline that we've heard nothing of, but it's probably a continuation of something that happened last week or the week before on, on Raw. Right. And so Brock Lesnar comes in. And so Stephanie hangs up on Shane and she sa- he says he doesn't need a partner. And so Stephanie says, well, I got to protect my investment in you, Brock. And she says, you know, I really I want you to beat the big show and I want you to win the Royal Rumble and I want you to main event WrestleMania. So I'm going to pick a partner for you. And I was like, OK, you want Brock to win now? Because like you weren't really eager to help after you lost the title in November. You're just like he was frustrated and you suspended him. That was very nice. So she's, she's kind of having it both ways here. If I was Brock, I'd be like, don't have to give an interest in me. It's rude. And so we see we see Big Show and A-Train flanking Paul Heyman as they walk down the hall. And we're told that they are collectively 850 pounds, which is a lot of people, a lot of man. I guess if we had Paul Heyman, they're probably over a thousand. See, probably over a thousand. I don't think Paul Heyman looks like he's 150 pounds. So I think they're over a thousand, the three of them together. Right. Mm-hmm. I'd guess. And so, yeah, now it's not the main event here. I guess because obviously we have the handicap match later on. But we, we our next match here is Big Show and A-Train against Brock Lesnar and someone. And uh, even though we saw them walking together backstage there, Big Show and A-Train have separate entrances. So I guess, big, you know, A-Train just kind of waited back there and was like, no, no, you, you go first. I, would, I got my own thing. I got I some mean, I steam. Guess, I guess they're trying to still build up A-Train as, you know, a, a big deal. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of trying to have it both ways. They're like, well, we kind of we made A-Train lose a bunch, but we're still going to try to do something with them. Like, yeah, sure. And so... Uh, we, uh, we see the SmackDown sponsors for this week. Always a special joy for me to see this. And so this week, it's Stacker 2, which is one of the best fat burners there is, of course. Definitely not uh, illegal uh, with a veteran or something like that in there. Uh, we also see uh, JVC's Tower of Power, still represented well. And Truth, the anti-tobacco campaign uh, with a tagline, we couldn't make the stuff up if we tried. And, and so, you know, they still are sponsoring SmackDown to this day, um, the anti-tobacco lobby. I mean, they're a real faithful supporter of WWE. I mean, they must feel like tobacco users are, um, uh, well, they must feel like a lot of WWE watchers, kids are, are going to get in, 
into tobacco. I mean, right now it's the anti-vaping campaign. Oh, yeah. You know, like toxic metal in your lungs. Like that's the whole thing. So I, I'm kind of happy to see that there's uh, um, the anti-tobacco crusaders are um, have been around for this long. Yeah. And I don't know if it would just be like, hey, we got to get the kids to make sure they don't get it. Or if it's like also like, hey, there's probably some 20 year olds who watch you smoke and probably shouldn't. Could be both. And you would think that the anti-vaping thing would be especially uh, salient now that there's a, a lung-killing disease that's currently happening that you maybe don't want your lungs to be in bad shape for. So, Right, that's true. But then that would mean WWE would have to reference COVID. So I don't think they would actually... Well, they did. They told people to get vaccinated, though. I saw Finn Balor at WrestleMania. He told true. me. He was like, to get back to normal, we have to get our vaccines. It's not a good... That was, a very, that was more like Liam Neeson, but... <laughs> <laughs> right. But no, that's true. You're right. To their credit, they are starting to acknowledge that that maybe there was a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you were like, hey, should you guys have done all the stuff you did in the pandemic? They'd be like, ah, what are you talking about? Leave us alone. Uh, right. Everything was fine. There was only like yeah. eight COVID outbreaks. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, like all of all of the roster now has herd immunity because enough of them have uh, yes have got the antibodies. Yeah, because Ricochet went to like eight parties. Sorry, he just he just did. And uh, so so there's a sign in the crowd that says "Big Show Canceled," which kind of make I guess referencing that like Big Show TV show. Sure, why not? Uh, if that was in the crowd today, I would be like, "Oh no, what happened?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did he did he reference the Holocaust and one of? Yeah, exactly. Was he did he was he weird with one of the girls backstage? Ugh, come on, yeah. big show. Damn. So Paul Heyman is wearing a scarf because it's January, I guess. That would be my explanation for it. And he gets on the mic to remote uh, the match against Brock at Royal Rumble, and he says Brock Lesnar can't beat the Big Show, which he he parroted. You know, he said that a lot back in November, but it's not really that believable because we saw them wrestle. And Brock would have won if it was not for Paul Heyman. So it's like, all right, I guess you can keep lying to us, but we have seen it. You know, we don't believe your lying eyes. Guess what Paul Heyman is saying here. And so Paul says, you know, Big Show, he's going to beat Brock. He's going to be in the Rumble. Shelton Benjamin, Charlie Haas, A-Train, they're also going to be in the Rumble. And so he's just telling us, hey, get ready for that. Like, everybody, get ready for these big matches and these big personalities we're going to see in the Royal Rumble match. And then so after Brock Lesnar comes out, we wait, and Rey Mysterio comes out. So Rey Mysterio is back from injury. And uh, then, then this match is not really a match, which is kind of the strange thing about it. Is that there's like, like Rey Mysterio hits the ring. <clears throat> there's some fighting there. Brock F5s A-Train. Then he clotheslines Big Shot of the ring. And then uh, Rey Mysterio hits a 619, a splash, and he pins him. 37 seconds. Nobody even went to their corner. I don't even know if it was even a tag. How are they a tag team match? You know what? I I don't mind a, a a squash from time to time. Sure, it's kind of kind of like a squash to the a side of fluke, because it's kind of like oh they came in hot. It was, a, it was a it was a fun romp. I yeah. I liked it. Sounds like a like a movie thing. It's a fun romp. I liked it. Four stars. Uh, speaking of four stars, we're back at Al Wilson's public viewing. Mm. So the quality of SmackDown will continue and. Uh, Don Marie is being comforted by an older lady who says Al always spoke highly of her. I guess that old lady must have known Al for the last few months because he wouldn't have spoke highly of her before that. And uh, so the old lady leaves, and then we see the room is full, and Tori Wilson is here. Tori's wearing a very form-fitting black dress. She walks up to Don Marie by the casket, and she just kind of stares at her. And then the segment just ends. So we're going to see some more conflict between Tori and Don Marie. Nice little cliffhanger there. You know what? I... Felt that tension as Don was, or Tori rather, was was entering the scene. Yeah, it's like well, they're already kind of having a silent like who can dress less appropriately for a funeral thing. <laughs> right. They're going for it. 
I mean, Don Marie still won that, but oh, yeah, Chandley, yeah, yes, I agree. She yeah. did both, both, yeah, I mean, especially Tori for the will, women. Tori will never miss an opportunity to show off some cleavage, though. That's that's true. I mean, that's kind of why she's there at the time. So we go to Matt Hardy, accompanied to the ring by Shannon Moore against Funaki, who in this case is accompanied to the ring with Billy Kidman. Because they had a little bit of a tiff backstage. So Billy Kidman says, you know what, I'll second you out there. And so Matt, Matt of course, says, Matt Faxby comes down to the ring that are different each week. Usually there's two. There's only one this time. He just says, Matt was in the academically gifted class in elementary school. And that's it. He's like, all right. That's a comment on Twitter. You see people talk about that all the time. How they were in the, the gifted class in elementary school and their lives didn't turn out the way they wanted to. Uh, makes me gra- grateful that there was no g- gifted class in my school for fear that I would be in it and I would be in that butt pile as well. Maybe. Yeah. But then again, I was spending a lot of my time uh, watching wrestling, so maybe I was no hope of that happening either. So, oh, well, I was inoculating myself against it. So Billy Kimmon is out there. Billy Kimmon is wearing the Royal Rumble T-shirt. And he he does this a lot. He wears like the Hey For You shirt. And I just feel like it makes you look like a loser. You know, like he's like wearing like the, the free shirt backstage. He's like, cool. Do you have an immense medium? Like, right. Oh, for sure. I mean, they basically said that, well, we just want you to sell merch today. Yeah. Just be a little billboard for us, Kidman. I know you're mm-hmm. I know you're a cruiserweight champion and you don't have a match the pay-per-view, but please wear this. And so uh, Funaki starts hot. He, he's worked up and then Matt Hardy gets the edge and he hits a side effect for two. And then Kidman tries to start a clap by banging on the ring apron, but doesn't really take off. Too bad. And so Funaki gets a very crisp-looking sunset flip for two. And then Funaki uh, reverses a twist of fate by driving Matt into the corner. And then Funaki, while in the corner, he gets a tornado DDT, but it's a reverse DDT, uh, which I've never seen before. That was an interesting little fun little move there. And then uh, he um, Funaki drops Matt on the ropes, but it's kind of awkward. Like he kind of hits it in a way that, and he, it just looks like it wasn't supposed to happen that way. Oh yeah, it was a flash. tough looking tumble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and he he does fall to the outside there, and so Funaki gets a body press out there. And as soon as he, he as soon as he did that, I was like, okay, Matt Hardy did catch him really well on the way down. And so I wonder, I, I would assume that you know if you were kind of uh, thrown awkwardly, there might be some a, a desire when you're wrestling to be like, you know what, I don't want to catch that guy's heart. But he mm-hmm. did, so that was good. Uh, and so Funaki uh, back inside, he climbs the top rope, but Shannon Moore is there, and that's Shannon, That's what he does, right? You come down to the ring with Shannon Moore, he's gonna hop on the top rope and grab your leg. And so uh, Billy Kimmon comes over to stop Shannon Moore, uh, which distracts the referee. And so while he's being distracted, Funaki cross bodies Matt Hardy. He covers Matt, but the, the ref is distracted. We don't see it there. Funaki probably mad about that. Uh, but then Matt Hardy pushes Funaki. Uh, into Shannon Moore, falls off the apron there, and he gets a twist of fate on Funaki for the one, two, and three. So Matt Hardy wins this one against Funaki. He raises to him backstage, and he still gets the the win. And then after the match, Shannon Moore is on the ramp talking to Matt uh, because and, and, and instead of saying uh, he, sorry, Shannon Moore says we did it, and Matt thinks it should be I did it, so he actually slaps Shannon Moore. And so Matt Hardy is a, 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 a abusive. Uh, abusive mentor continues here. Uh, also prescient to have an, an abusive mentor. That's very much a 2021 concept as well. Kind of oh, the, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. me too. Yeah. We were recently there, were, you know, the headlines there about uh, Hollywood producer, Scott Rudin being terrible to his associates there. So Matt Hardy doing a little bit of uh, evoking a little bit of Scott Rudin. I think his name's Scott Rudin. I better get that right. Or else it sounds stupid on my podcast. How dare I? But then don't worry everybody. Cause we're not going to do any more wrestling for a little bit. Cause it's time to go back to the public viewing. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Tori Wilson is there. He, she's weeping over Al Wilson's body. And Don Reed chastises Tori for crying like this. She says people will see through her because she didn't love her father. She only cared about herself. She says that something people think that Al died of a broken heart. That's what Tori did. She broke his heart. I think she I think she might even come out and say here, you killed your father. She in fact I've actually written this down. Please. She's uh, exactly that. You killed your father, you did. <laughs> a bit a bit intense. Now, of course, Don follows up by slapping her. With a really heavy slap. I mean, that was either either Tori sold it really well or that truly connected. It very well could have. Now, Tori slaps Don back, and they end up knocking the casket off its stand, which I have to imagine was unintentional and could have been a real problem because there's an actual human man who's not dead in that casket. Oh, come on. It, it, that must have been. You think so? It, just, oh, it looks a little sure. awkward. I don't know. I thought I could see it. Maybe do, you think be, they, do you think they really care about Al Wilson's welfare? <laughs> uh, they'd be afraid, I'm sure, of him getting like stunt pay or something like that. I'm sure that doesn't exist in wrestling at all. But, no, it doesn't. Yeah. I'm sure he signed waivers, you know, um, ensuring that he can't sue them for, for anything. What, what really makes this segment, as this, as this is truly breaking down, is all of the shrieks by horrified mourners in the crowd. Oh, yes. my God. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, stop! Like that, that to me really made it. And also, um, I don't think anybody really gives Tori Wilson enough credit for her acting skills. Because okay. as um, a mourning daughter um, and, and her crying, like I felt it was all really believable. Hmm. And... You know, I've I've done like some further reading about um, about this whole storyline because I, yeah. I do really find it it one of the the more fascinating storylines from this 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 whole year in in SmackDown, right? Because they they just descended to such depths of depravity, and um, Tori Wilson seems like she was quite okay with all of this this happening. Like she doesn't seem like she's ashamed of it. She talks um, kind of glowingly about being involved in it. Uh, she was eager to be a part of it. Apparently, Trish Stratus was offered the role of Don Marie before this. So initially they wanted to have, and maybe it was just because they wanted to have sort of like the, the lesbian um, situation that Tori and Don sort of got involved in, in earlier. Um, I can't even really use the word lesbian because it was coerced. Um, Don, right. Don Marie sort of um, forcing Tori into that situation. Trish Stratus uh, commendably said, no, I don't want to be involved in that. And uh, and so thankfully uh, preserved her legacy by, by not getting involved in it. But uh, uh, really, you know, like Tori, um, quite happy about how all of this went down. Yeah, well, maybe it was because she did a bang up job on the acting. Yeah, I mean, she did have a lot of uh, prominence on the broadcast. She's on the show a lot. So I could see that being an appealing part of it where you'd be like, well, you know, for somebody who's not actually a wrestler, I got to, you know, be the focal point of television for a while. I mean, in a large part, I mean, this episode, like you said, it's mostly about this whole uh, public viewing. 
Uh, and they're you know, they're really the only women on the show. I mean, other yeah, than other Stephanie, than yeah. other than Stephanie, and like a very brief appearance by Nydia getting misted by Tajiri, mm-hmm. um, they are the top female stars. That's right. So yeah, they're, 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 they're absolutely the case. Uh, they probably. I mean, you also if you have a match on paper, you get paid a little bit more too. So I'm sure she probably liked getting a little bit more money, as you can imagine. Well, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so after after Tori uh, slaps Dawn and they knock over the casket on the stand, uh, she throws Dawn down. And she yells, "I hate you!" And then uh, Tori's saying, uh, "She's to her father's dead body." She says, "Daddy, I'm so sorry." And as it's happening, Dawn Marie sneaks up on Tori Wilson, and she has a big white lamp. And she holds it over her head, and she breaks it over her head. She smashes the lamp over Tori Wilson. The bits of the lamp even go in the casket. And, uh, yeah, so Don Marie gets the uh, the last uh, kind of big moment there before we uh, see them wrestle at Royal Rumble. So she, she smashed it with the lamp. So uh, as, as tasteless as this whole segment is from start to finish of the show. Yeah. Um, and it's certainly uncomfortable to watch because of that. You have to admit that they wrote it and performed it pretty damn well. Yeah, I mean, sure. I guess so. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to give too many points for something I don't like. <laughs> it's fine. I like the big lamp. I like that there was a very yeah. large lamp and they shattered over somebody's head. Like almost over, like comically oversized lamp. Yeah. yeah. It's like it's straight out of a Jackie Chan movie. Right. Yeah. yeah which I like that. We see a uh, another video pre- package here. We see a rat, and it's another Nathan Jones promo talking about how he was in prison. And it's interesting because all this stuff seems to point to Nathan Jones being a heel, almost like a Hannibal Lecter sort of thing. But uh, when he comes out, he is not a heel. He, he I believe he, uh, we will see him in, in a few months here helping out The Undertaker a little bit. So they're trying for something here with Nathan Jones they don't ultimately go with, which is also funny to think about that specifically, that it's like, we have a whole plan for you. And by the time we come up in person, it's like, oh, we're not going to do that specific plan. Not the one we promised this whole time. And then uh, and then we get to the rundown of the upper coming card for the Royal Rumble. So, Chris, I'll be interested in your, your thoughts on these matches here. Uh, we've got Angle and Benoit for the WWE title, which I'm sure, you, you know, we want to see that. That's SmackDown sure. fans, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, that match famously is very good. Uh, Triple H against Scott Steiner for the world title. Have you ever seen that match? No. I mean, after watching this, I do want to watch the the Rumble. Oh, wait, uh, so. I I will want to see Triple H and Scott Steiner. Um, big pop a pump, but I would have very low expectations. Yeah, those are exactly the expectations you should have because the Royal Rumble 2003, there are high highs and there's some crazy low lows. Maybe, maybe, maybe the biggest disparity between two matches on a card would be the Angle Benoit and the Triple H versus Scott Steiner. Also on the card, so then Don Marie and Tori, stepmother uh, versus stepdaughter, the first time ever in WWE history. Not oh, wow. I'm sure the Don Marie Tori Wilson match is way shorter. So in some ways, even if it's not great, at least it's brief. Right. Uh, not the case with the Steiner match. Uh, there's also the uh, the Brock Lesnar versus Big Show match. They show Big Show with a, a kind of a weirder looking old video graphic where he's got skinnier. Uh, he's got more hair and he's skinnier. All right. Sure. Let's talk about how Undertaker's coming back in the Rumble. That should be fine, I guess. Uh, there's William Regal and Lance Storm versus Dudley Boys for the tag team titles on Raw. I'll be interested to see what happens there. Why not? Uh, and then, of course, there's the uh, 
the Don Marie versus uh, Tori Wilson stepmother versus stepdaughter match. Does that make sense to even call it that anymore? Considering that the uh, tying bond between them, uh, Al Wilson is dead. Yeah. Um, they never lived as stepmother and stepdaughter. It's not like they're at the age where like, you know, Steph, uh, Tori was still in uh, high school and Don Marie to take her things <laughs> where you where, where conceivably. And then if Al died, he'd be like, well, she would still be her stepmother. She'd still be her stepdaughter. Uh, well, I mean, Don Marie now has formally taken the Wilson name, so so perhaps it, it does apply. Makes sense. Uh, now, Taz kind of puts the button on this, which I think is great, is that Taz says, you know, this might be in poor taste, but I wonder if it's going to be a casket match, <laughs> which I think is hilarious. Uh, also, the idea that, they, like, they, they are not great wrestlers, Don Marie and uh, Toy Wilson. I don't think either of them would be shocked to hear me say that. No. But the idea of having two not great wrestlers compete in a ta- casket match, I don't think there's ever been a women's casket match, as far as I know. It's a. Uh, it's kind of a shame that they did do that. Yeah, I mean, that'd be like a little bit of a little bit of juice for the whole thing. I wouldn't mind that. Sure. Or they, or they just made it like a hell in a cell. That'd be fun too. Way before they would actually have women's hell in a cell matches. I'm sure the time if I was if you told me like, oh yeah, by by the time uh, you know you're you're in your 30s, they will have women wrestling in hell in a cell matches. I'd be like, that's insane. But it happens. Very much so happens. Well, main eventing WrestleMania. Exactly. Also insane. That's right. And so because, we get to I mean, if you are looking yeah. at like the SmackDown roster, your top two women are uh, Tori Wilson and Don Marie. Right. They're and not. Like, they're not main eventing anything other than the SmackDown. Essentially. Yes. Yeah. There will be. Yeah. There will be matches that are not predicated on one woman being married to, to another woman's father. Mm-hmm. Somehow that will happen. And, and folks so, that can like translate Japanese promos. Yes. Exactly. That's right. The, the whole thing. There's lots of science fiction going on. And it's up to you to decide which is weirder. The, the women are treated like people or the phones <laughs> good and exist. So we get to our main event of the evening. It's Team Angle made up of Kurt Angle, Shelton Benjamin, and Charlie Haas against Chris Benoit and Edge. And out comes uh, Team Angle. And Kurt, Kurt has his crutch, even though he's in full wrestling gear, uh, which looks like a bad sign. But then we'll see in the match that Kurt is pretty much fine, it would appear. And uh, also, I keep calling this trio Team Angle, but then this graphic specifies it's Kurt Angle with Team Angle. So I guess Kurt is not really on his own team, which I kind of get because it's a tag team on its own. That's going to be its own thing. But also, I feel like Kurt Angle should be part of Team Angle. Yes. Bit complicated. Mm -hmm. And so Edge comes down to the ring, and we see Edge's video promo for the Royal Rumble, and he runs through his accomplishments. And he talks about how he retired the U.S. title. He was king of the ring. And he talks about how he lost that chump stain of a partner, Christian. Which is one of those like early 2000s things where I'm just like, you can't just make up weird sounding words, chump stain. It's a stain of chump? What is that? Ugh, I don't even want to think about that. It could be could, like, don't make me bust out Urban Dictionary and go back to 2002 to see what kind of nonsense you're talking about, Edge. Uh, also funny that it takes, what it would be, the full 18 years until he wins an actual Royal Rumble up to this point, uh, like from that point to there. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah. If you, if you had a kid then, his kid could wrestle in that Royal Rumble by the time he wins one. And so uh, we take a break uh, before the match begins. We st- we immediately start. We see Chris Benoit back suplexing Charlie Haas. And it throws him outside, and he beckons Kurt Angle into the ring. And then uh, Benoit keeps attacking Haas. He turns to threaten Kurt Angle. So like, essentially, like, he beats up Haas, does a move, and then he looks at Kurt Angle after every single move to start the match. He's, like, doing that whole thing. And so Shelton Benjamin comes in to distract the referee and Benoit. And so Angle pops in and hits a low blow on Benoit while they're not looking. And so Charlie Haas gets a count of two from the referee for that. And then Charlie Haas takes his advantage. He locks in this kind of standing arm bar on Benoit. Kind of hard to describe. Uh, But then Benoit reverses it, 
into a, a roll-up. He gets two. He escapes the hold. Benoit tags an edge, and he goes. He runs wild on Haas until Haas finally makes a tag. He tags an angle. And angle, yeah, he's just, like, stomping. He doesn't seem like he needed a crutch at all. Like, I, I the crutch is essentially used a little bit later on for um, beating up purposes. But otherwise, he is completely fine, I would say. He looks like he, yeah, it's, it was just crazy because between the last pay-per-view, he won the world title, had his knee scoped, and now he's wrestling again. But I guess Kurt Angle is not really human anyway in a lot of ways. So this all makes sense. So Edge faceplants Angle and uh, tags in Benoit, who chases Angle outside. And then Shelton Benjamin jumps in. He clotheslines Benoit to give Angle the advantage again. And then Shelton comes in, and in comes Edge. He hits a flying clothesline on Shelton. And it's a pretty hot crowd for this match, I found it, too. People were pretty excited about it. They're having fun. It's kind of a solid tag team main event style match, you know? People yeah, like it. yeah, it was it was um a, to use the expression again, it was definitely a, a fun romp. Um, yeah. lots of uh hot tags and yeah. uh, that they built great anticipation for. They tell some fun little stories in here, it's true. It's kind of I think of it as a, a kind of platonic ideal of a TV main event. You know, it it can be kind of uh hacky to do a bunch of tag team matches where you just kind of put two feuds together and guys on the other side of it, but when it works, it works. Mm-hmm. And they're telling some great stories here specifically that it's like the good guys are at a disadvantage. Obviously, it's a handicap match. And uh, Team Angle are just, they're doing everything where Angle is taunting people, and then Shelton Benjamin and Charlie Haas are just like being sneaky and jumping in when they can, being so unfair. And uh, so, yeah, Angle, uh, uh, let's, yes, okay. So Angle jumps in, he brings in Benoit, uh, which allows Haas to jump in and, and double team Edge with Benjamin. And then, uh, yeah, the referee seems especially concerned to make sure that Angle and Benoit aren't going to fight when they're not tagged in, which I guess makes sense. You know, he has a special interest in making sure there's no issues with that uh, WWE title match on Sunday. Sure. And uh, Benoit is, he, he starts getting frustrated by all the shenanigans that Haas and Benjamin are, are doing uh, doing on uh, Team Angle's behalf. So he, he runs in and breaks the pinfall on edge, and he just looks really mad about it in a very com- convincing way. And so Shelton hits a very nice diving clothesline on edge off an Irish whip, showing off just how athletic he is. And uh, Edge manages to get an Edge-O-Matic on Shelton to break the cycle of violence against him. But Shelton manages to tag in at, uh, Haas first, and Edge just can't get there. And so this is where Taz says something kind of interesting here. He says that Haas should have popped Benoit off the apron before trying to pin Edge, which I thought was solid color commentary because it's just kind of showing, like, Team Angle, they need a little bit more experience, and Taz can see that sort of thing. But he also says, you know, it's kind of easy for me to say that when I'm not wrestling. But he's kind of having that, like, you know, the Monday morning quarterback thing. He's like, oh, I gotta, I kind of see what they're doing there. I would do it differently. And uh, so Angle comes in, and Edge holds his own well, pretty pretty well, until Angle flips him over for a belly-to-belly suplex. And then Angle brings in Haas, and Edge is still just struggling so much here. And Edge crawls the tag at Benoit, but then Angle gets a waist lock, and he hits a German suplex on Edge before he can tag Benoit. And it lifts him up again, and Edge, again, he's in the waist lock, but he's reaching, he's just trying to get to Benoit, and Angle almost lets him, but he hits a German suplex. He doesn't get it again. And then uh, Angle, essentially, he gets tired of it. He knocks down Edge, he goes after Benoit, but when he turns around, Edge hits him with a belly-to-belly suplex, and I don't know if you caught this, Chris, but I feel like he kind of didn't throw Angle enough, because I think Angle kind of lands on his neck here. Yeah, it was uh, it was slightly scary. And, uh, yeah. I, um... I mean, I think that he rolled his head just enough in time, but it was uh, really close. It, it did look uncomfortably close. I noticed that as well. Yeah, and and so after he he takes this belly to belly, 
Uh, Angle tags out to Shelton Benjamin pretty quickly, hits the floor. He's holding his neck. He's not back on the apron. You know, he's kind of betraying all the physicality of like, oh, maybe I'm actually hurt here. And so Benoit finally comes in and he goes wild on Haas and Benjamin, but not Kurt because Kurt just tagged out. But I think Kurt was probably supposed to be there to take some of this brunt here. So I think we're seeing probably a little makeup thing for this. And so Benoit gets a cross face on Shelton, but then in comes Angle, and I'm glad to see he's alive here. Mm. And he's got the belt. And I kind of love this point where a match where a wrestler's just like, you know what? Fine. I don't care if I'm disqualified here. I just want to smack a guy with a belt. Like, I'm done with trying to do normal wrestling stuff here. I'm just going to beat him up. And meanwhile, and, the, yes. the referee um, is distracted by seemingly nothing. He just, like, right. looks in the other direction while Angle is doing this with the belt. Yeah. Uh, no indication why, like what the referee was distracted by, but he did not see that belt. No, he didn't. He was just, sometimes referees will do that. I've seen uh, uh, referee Mike Kyoto, who I believe was the referee or the official for this night. I've seen him a couple of times do things where he's literally looks at wrestlers and he looks away for a second so the guy could do something. Right. Uh, which I think we covered on the podcast. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was a very fun little uh, reveal to see him do that. And so, yeah, so Benoit gets a crossface uh, on, on Angle instead. And so Edge spears Charlie Haas to prevent him from breaking up the submission. But the referee breaks it up instead because Angle's not the legal man. And so he's like, okay, well, don't, don't, get, a, don't get in the submission situation here if he's not legal. And so Benoit goes for it again, though. And, and then so the referee ends up disqualifying Benoit for not letting go of the hold. And the fans react to this because it looks like it's a win for Benoit because Benoit has Angle in the crossface and the referee turns around and rings the bell. Uh, but it's not what happened. It's like he, essentially Benoit loses because he doesn't do that enough. He doesn't uh, doesn't release the 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 hold again. And uh, Edge hits Team Angle with a crossbody off the top. He takes them out. So Angle really is kind of helpless in there. And so Benoit puts the crossface on again. Angle taps out and then a bunch of refs run down to break it up. And so Benoit heads out of the ring and he finds Kurt Angle's crutch, which I think is the only reason he brought it down because Benoit brings it in. He beats down Angle with it. There's a big reaction to it. And Team Angle drags Kurt out of, out of the ring for his own safety. And they walk up the ramp. They're licking their wounds. And uh, Edge puts Angle's abandoned WWE title in Benoit's hands. He didn't take it with him when he left. And Benoit holds it for a second before he puts it on the ground between them. And Michael Cole asks if Chris Benoit has Kurt Angle's number before saying that we'll see us in Boston on Sunday for Royal Rumble 2003. The show goes off the air. What did you think of that uh, that finish of that match there? Kind of a different look. You don't see that very much. The baby face goes, you know what? I don't care if I'm getting disqualified. I'm just going to beat this guy up more. Well, you know what? I didn't like the ending. I thought it was. I thought that was bullshit because it Fair wasn't Benoit's fault that Angle was in the ring. Angle was in the ring when he shouldn't have been. He wasn't the legal man. And I mean, the but, but Angle can't get wasn't... out of the ring when you're being in a submission. So even Kurt Angle was like, you know what? I get it. I'm not the legal man. I got to get out of here. He couldn't. He's being the, 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 the maniacal Chris Benoit is grabbing him. Mm. You know what? I, I don't think that's grounds for disqualification. If anything, he should mm. have been counting out. Um, who was it? Haas? No, Benjamin was the legal man who was now outside of the ring. He should have been counting him out. Yeah, I mean, it could have, it could have just been easy, it's easily been a count of victory for Benoit and Edge, how you say it that way. So yeah, I did not, I mean, I guess it was an interesting way to end it, but um, I did not agree with the, the referee's thinking. See, when you say it like that, it's interesting, too, because it's like, okay, conceivably, Sheldon Metro could be on the outside of the ring with a chair and, like, hitting Edge with it. And so he could get disqualified, too. Like, 
Benjamin, like there's so much that can happen in a match like this that isn't notice qualification that just as easily you'd be counting a guy out or uh, disqualifying a guy for something that he, that he does. Um, so yeah, anyway, it was an interesting move. I, I, I get what they're doing here because they want to end the show strong with uh, Benoit looking like a beast going into Royal Rumble. Right. Uh, making you think he's going to face him, uh, going to take down Angle in an easy way. So so yeah, the, the, the show goes off the air and uh, we've heard your thoughts on the, that finish of that match, Chris. But what, is your, uh, what are your final thoughts for this show? What did you think of it? You know, overall, it had it had a lot of hit and miss moments. Some of the matches in the middle were pretty forgettable. Uh, at the same time, enough was going on, and particularly with the the Tory Wilson Don Marie segments, that this is this is a SmackDown that lives on in infamy. Mm-hmm. And uh, the main event was quite good. Um, Certainly, uh, you know, I thought that the uh, Brock Lesnar match was was great as well. Los Guerreros were good. So overall, I thought it was actually maybe the best of the SmackDowns that I've watched with you, Matt, for this podcast. There we go. We've had ones that are a little bit, I think some of them are more momentous. I think I remember the one where... um, they brought out Tracy to grapple with Undertaker and accuse him of infidelity was a, was the main one there. But uh, yeah, yes. mm-hmm. we've had some eventful ones. You and I specifically have covered some very, uh, yeah, some very meaningful smackdowns there. So all uh, the tawdry ones. It's true. That's right. I think, yeah, I think there's probably a, like a, some sort of beauty contest in there at some point as well. Uh, and so on the podcast, we, we rate the smackdowns out of uh, using the smackdown video games as a barometer for it. So I have to ask, was this episode a here comes the pain, which means it was bad. A shut your mouth, which means you wouldn't tell anybody about it, like, but it's not terrible. Or a just bring it, where you're like, yeah, bring it on, bring more. What, what would you give this one? Okay, I'm going to give this one the elusive just bring it. Yeah, sure. I thought it, I, was, I thought it was worth it. Mm-hmm. You know what? I think I would give it two. I, I like the main events. It was nice and hot. Um, tag team title match is pretty good there. Um, the Don Marie Tory feud appears, you know, continues to be ridiculous. Um, I think in some ways, and I hope I don't get roasted for this, you might miss it when it's gone. Because as we enter 2003, there's a lot, there's all sorts of dumb stuff that happens on the show. Some of it is not as like uh, as obviously dumb, like as obviously bad as this. But there's just a lot of other random stuff that'll go on with. Uh, well, we'll see. We're gonna go on that journey together, folks. Because mm-hmm. 2003 is just beginning on the SmackDown Six podcast, so we're getting we're we're on our way. So yeah, we would both recommend the show. I think it was good, good to watch it. I don't know why you would watch it after hearing us both talk about it, but hopefully after you've watched it and listened to the podcast, you would come to a similar conclusion. And so next week's show on the SmackDown 6 podcast, we're covering Royal Rumble 2003. It's going to be a lot of fun. The plan right now is to have uh, my brother Will on that. So looking forward to covering that with him and talking about all the great matches, especially Angle Benoit, which is probably the best match we're ever going to cover on this podcast, I would say. Uh, There's other matches that are good, but this one is considered one of the greatest of the time. And, uh, yeah, we'll probably talk a little bit about the Triple H uh, Scott Steiner match and how it's bad. And I'm excited to cover our Royal Rumble itself. Uh, and who knows who will win uh, that coming Sunday. I mean, there's all sorts of – it could be Rikishi. Could be Rikishi, yeah. Maybe Tajiri give a convincing promo. Yeah. Yeah, I think – yeah, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, the person who wins does, uh, does not have a promo. We talk about it here, but we'll see. Could, could be a guy from SmackDown. Could be a guy from Raw. There's 15 from each. So mm. we'll see who gets, the, who gets the brand supremacy out of all this. Uh, so, yeah, Chris, thanks so much for being on the podcast this week, man. Great to talk to you about SmackDown. Happy to be here. One of my favorite things to talk about. 
That's right. Gotta love old wrestling. Always good. And so, folks, thank you for joining us here uh, on the podcast this week. Uh, if you like the show, uh, feel free to go to Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating on there. We'd love to get it there. Hopefully, we've earned your five stars, I would hope. Uh, and also, if there's somebody in your life who you think would like the SmackDown 6 podcast, share with them. You know, Share one of our tweets from our uh, our Your mom, our maybe. You yeah, know? maybe your mom wants it. I'd love to know that. Maybe if your mom was uh, was Don Marie. It might, might be interesting for us, too. Right. Uh, so, yeah, you can uh, you can find us on uh, Twitter and Instagram. I believe they're both SmackDown 6 Pod on both those platforms there. And we'd like to clip post clips and stuff from that on, on Twitter, on Instagram. Feel free to retweet that, share those with people, because uh, we want to give people a little taste of the shows as we're doing them here. Lots of fun doing that on our social media. So, yes, uh, thank you so much for joining us. We will see you next week. Will you be one of 30 men to win the Royal Rumble? We stand tall or we'll be thrown out to lose and not to watch WrestleMania from home. Who knows? We'll see you next week on the SmackDown 6 podcast.